Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. It's good to see all of you here tonight. You guys all right? Doing okay? You look good. Look good. Good. Again, it's, a, it's been a privilege to um, hear from the Lord this past two days, this morning, and also this evening from Dr. Terry Tola. Let's welcome him one more time. Again this Thank you. Would you stand with me as we begin our service tonight, uh, reciting our theme for the year. Our theme for the year is trust in the Lord with all your heart. So would you say that with me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. One more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Let us pray. God, we have come together, Lord Jesus, for you. Speak to us, transform us, and Help us each day, Lord Jesus, to trust in you with all of our hearts. We are grateful that you hear us. We just want to worship you and lift your name tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us worship. We will adore you. Remain stand as we receive the pastoral prayer this evening. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and they shall reign forever and forever. Oh, glorious Savior, we thank you tonight for this time together in worship. May you continue to fill this place with your presence. We feel you here, we know you're here, and we adore you and we worship at your feet tonight. We thank you from the depths of our hearts tonight for what you're going to do and what you're continuing to do in our hearts. We give you permission tonight, O oh God, to speak. Speak in words that we can understand tonight. To feel your heart. To know your truth. To allow it, Lord, to penetrate the very core of our being tonight. And when we shall leave this place, we know we've been empowered by your spirit, energized by your presence. Thank you for a speaker tonight. We pray that you'd use him again. Give him, Lord, the unction and the anointing of your spirit. Guide his thoughts. Oh, God, give us anointing hearts so we can hear the word of the Lord. We bless you tonight. Thank you for this time together. We love you. We worship you with all of our hearts tonight. Praise be to God. Glory to God. Glory to Dios. Oh God, descend upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Some of you were here last night and you heard the introduction of our speaker. Some were not, so let me just take a moment to introduce Dr. Terry Toller. Dr. Ter Terry Toller is the Vice President for Institutional Advancement and Church Relations at Southern Nazarene University in Bethany, Oklahoma, suburb of Oklahoma City. Uh, Terry has uh, served the Church of the Nazarene in many capacities as an associate pastor, as a senior pastor, and uh, has served the greater church in many different ways as a songwriter and as a musician and God has used this man through the years to bring glory and, and to the name of Jesus and to present the gospel in so many different ways to people. We're honored 
that he would take time out of his busy schedule. He told me today that his office plans 40 events a year for the university there in Oklahoma City. And I'm thankful to Dr. Lauren Gresham for lending us Dr. Toller for these two days and Terry for your coming. We're so grateful. He's a great friend, a great friend through the years and it's been a privilege to have him here. This morning he preached a sermon to our faculty and staff I've never heard a message on uh, the, the wedding at Cana like I heard this morning. And I, I would urge you, students, I mean urge you, it will bring a blessing to your heart if when this message appears on our uh, website that you would listen to that. It, it, will, it will lift your spirit. And I, I just want to urge you to do that. I wish you could have heard it. In fact, I just wish he'd preach it again tonight. It helped me so much this morning. But he has a message for us. Would you thank Dr. Toller for coming? And, and we look forward to hearing from you. Well, good evening. It has been such a privilege to be uh, with you uh, for these brief hours. In about 24 hours, we've been together. Uh, this will be the third time for, if you've been through all three services, could I see your hand? Well, God bless the saints who've been able to be here all three services. It's been uh, such a privilege for me to be on campus and to spend some time with uh, students and the staff and the faculty and, and to be with um, Dr. and Mrs. Graves, and uh, I, I, am, I am the debtor. I have uh, received more than I have been able to give. That seems to be always the case in my life. I have received abundantly, and so thank you for your hospitality and for the privilege of having a small part in, in the opening convention of what I hope will, will just be a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, trimester it is, right? Uh, and uh, I hope this is a wonderful, wonderful time for you. Uh, this trilogy of messages, uh, last evening, uh, Jesus, we were with Jesus at the River Jordan. This morning, we were with Jesus at a wedding. And tonight we'll be with Jesus at the well. And so I invite your attention to the Gospel of John again, chapter 4 this time. The full context of the message is really found in, in verses 9 through 22, and, and if you have the opportunity later on to go back and review this, uh, reading that entire passage will be helpful and useful to you. But would you stand as we read just two verses, John chapter 4, and I'm going to Read verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has come, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit 
and in truth. Would you join me now for a moment of silent prayer? And would you pray the Lord will speak to your heart through his word in these moments together? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Some time ago, I ran into Walmart for what I thought would be a quick one-item purchase. Now, don't get too far ahead of me, okay? <clears throat> and so I found the item uh, quickly. And, uh, and headed uh, towards the, uh, the cashier and got in line. And uh, it was an unusual time because I got through rather quickly. And so I, I headed towards the exit. And as I was exiting, some sort of alarm went off. And this judgmental, mechanical voice called out to me to get back in the store. <clears throat> and as I turned around, I saw this, this smirking smock-wearing security person who said, well, what do we have here? And uh, in that moment, it seemed like the whole store was, was silent and all the customers were part of a great grand jury. And it was also in that moment that I realized that I had retained something from my youth in a in a very legalistic, ultra-conservative church, the Pilgrim Holiness Church. Some people said that the pilgrims were so narrow-minded that they could look through a keyhole with both eyes at the same time. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, I love, I love my Pilgrim Holiness roots for sure, but it was in that moment that, that, that the ability to experience guilt even without sin, came back to me. It seemed like all the eyes were on me, and the smirking, smock-wearing security person checked my receipt and looked at the product and said, well, you're good to go. And I don't know if honoriness is a spiritual gift or not. I'm not sure of that. But in that moment, I had, a, I had a, an honorary urge, and I, I said to him, I said, you see these people staring at me? They think I'm a criminal. Would you do something for me? And he said, what's that? I said, would you just hug me or something to let them know that I'm not a criminal? He backed up. He said, I'm not going to hug you, but I'll shake your hand. So we shook hands, and I waved to the jury. <laughs> it went about my business. Being the center of attention. It can be a double-edged sword, can't it? If it's something good and something wonderful, what a day. But what if you're the center of attention for all the wrong reasons? At the heart of our text this evening is, is a woman. A woman who stood out for all the wrong reasons. But before we think about her, some background might be might be helpful for us. In our context, the full context of the reading this evening that I hope you'll do later, <clears throat> the Pharisees were trying to incite a rivalry between John the baptizer and Jesus. Competition. Uh, John 3, 25 through 30, read about it. Jesus left Judea, 
started north to Galilee, and he could have taken the route along the coast across Jordan and up through Perea, or he could go through Samaria, but that was a problem because Orthodox Jews avoided Samaria like the plague. There's this long-standing deep hatred between them and the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were a mixed race. Part Jew, part Gentile that grew out of the Assyrian captivity in 727 BC out of the ten northern tribes. And the, the Jews rejected them because they, 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 could not, they could not prove their genealogy. And so consequently the Samaritans established their own temple. They established their own religious traditions, their own services at Mount Gerizim. So intense was the dislike of, of the Jews and the Samaritans that some Pharisees prayed that, that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. Some Jews wouldn't even walk on Samaritan soil because they were sure they would, they would be defiled. The enemies of Jesus even used this Samaritan label as, as a slang term to insult him. So why go through this place? Why go through Samaria? In verse 4, the scripture says this, Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. The words had to translate an expression of necessity. So this trip was not a trip of convenience for Jesus. This was a trip of compulsion. He had to go. In verse 6, Jesus and the disciples, they stopped at Jacob's well. And Jesus must have sighed and being tired from the travel, sat down at the well and said to the disciples, I'm going to rest here, go get some food. And so the disciples left Jesus for presumably a noonday nap. But before he could doze off, he, he saw her coming. She was coming at an odd time, noon. She stood out for all the wrong reasons. Her eyes squinted against the hot noonday sun and her shoulders stooped under the weight of the water jar and her feet trudged. There was little life in her steps. Her head was down. She's a, she's a Samaritan and she's a bad Samaritan at that. She's been married five times. She's known rejection. She's known loneliness. And she comes at noonday to draw water. Most likely she comes at noonday to avoid the crowds. I mean, she wouldn't want to hear the whispers of the women and the others around her. And so she comes with an empty jar in an aching heart and yet this most unlikely woman in the world 
has a conversation with Jesus, the Son of God, about the most profound subject I know of, and that is the subject of the worship of God. Now, there are a lot of different possibilities and a lot of different definitions to consider when we're talking about the worship of God. Let me tell you a definition I've been working with for some time. And here's, here's what I believe worship is. Worship is the human response to divine revelation. It is the celebration of God. Let me say it again. Worship is the human response to divine revelation. It is the celebration of God. It is when we see something that we know cannot be attributed to anybody else, no other human being, no other reason other than God. And in that moment when we realize it is of God, there is this aha moment and we respond with everything in us that says, that is God and I celebrate. I celebrate who he is. There are many who say that the monarch of the church is missions. That's the priority of the church, missions. What's a church without missions? Evangelism. That's the priority of the church. Number one on the list. That's the priority. Missions, evangelism. Still others say social justice. That should be at the top of the list. Uh, others will say compassionate ministries. That should be at the top of the list. Others will say education. Education ought to be the priority. And here's what I believe. It's my, my firm belief that every good thing that comes to and through the church flows from the fountain of Christian worship. I believe passionate service to God is preceded by a celebration of God. You cannot maintain and sustain passionate service unless you are celebrating and worshiping God with your whole heart. It's impossible to keep it up without that renewal. And worship is more than a song service. By the way, sometimes in our, I know what we're trying to say in our nomenclature, uh, the person that leads singing is sometimes called the worship leader. I like to think of it in terms of the lead worshiper, but I believe that every pastor is the lead worshiper when the congregation gathers. It is the pastor who calls the people in that prophetic sense to worship. So worship's more than a song service. It's more than a sermon. It is the, the focal point of daily life. The other six days, not just the Sabbath. Some time ago, uh, my brother Stan, who uh, will be your commencement speaker, I should call him Dr. Stan Toller, our 39th general superintendent. My brother Mark, who's a funny man, says he doesn't think of him so much as a general superintendent as just somebody you used to have to share bath water with. But I'll be, re I'll be, I'll be more respectful than that. 
But some time ago, my brother Stan and I were driving along. This was in Oklahoma City. And we saw a church sign. And the sign said, casual worship. And listed a service time. And that, that sign sparked a conversation in the car that day. And we concluded that the, that, 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 that phrase was, uh, was, uh, was an oxymoron. Like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> like airplane food. Like good looking old man. Like United Methodist. So I better go on. I better go on. <laughs> Casual worship. Think about that. Now, now to be fair, I, I think we both had a good idea of what they were saying. They were saying, come as you are. Just come. Come as you are. We, we get that. But dear friends, worship is something that is, that is intentional. It's not something that's passive that happens to you. It's something you're engaged in doing to the glory of Almighty God. It's actually the woman. This woman with five failed marriages who brings up the subject of worship in verses 19 and 20. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so she brought up the old controversies between Jews and Samaritans concerning where God should be worshipped. The issue was a, was a geographical one in her mind. What, where is the right place to worship God? Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim, as the Samaritans believed. And so it was really... It was really commentary on her part of the externals of worship, implying location, ritual, tradition, creed, things like raising one hand or two hands, shirt tails out or shirt tails in with a tie and a coat singing songs that were written last week or songs that were written 300 years ago, preaching while sitting down, and I kind of like that idea myself, <laughs> ex-cathedra, <laughs> sitting down with a music stand or standing behind the sacred desk, externals. But watch this. Jesus' response swept all these considerations aside and he centered in on the essential of heart worship. According to the words of our text in verses 23 and 24, those who would be true worshipers depend on three connections being established with God. Worshiping the Father, worshiping in the Spirit, worshiping in truth. Let me talk about those briefly now. First, worshiping the Father, the first connection. These days we hear the term benchmarking a lot. Uh, we hear it in, in business. We certainly hear it in education a lot and other fields as well. But the notion of benchmarking comes from 
topographical surveys where a surveyor puts a, a mark on a permanent object out there in the distance to, to serve as an elevation reference. And he calls this the benchmark. Jesus clearly placed his father as the benchmark of worship. Everything done in worship must measure up to this mark of the Father. So the very first point of reference to be checked when trying to determine the validity of any act of worship is the object of that worship. And Jesus told the woman at the well, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. The woman was arguing place. Jesus was arguing person. So, so the test is, do you know whom you are worshiping? It's worth looking at this word, Abba, which is Aramaic for father. It's said that in Jewish homes, the, the word started as a baby word. When the, the children, upon recognition of, of their father, they would, they would blah, blah. Blah, 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 and that's how it caught on and it stuck. By the way, the Jews referred to the home as the other sanctuary. Don't you like that? The other sanctuary. So in worship, we come as the children of God and we recognize him for who he is, the father of all. My dear friend, Dr. Chuck Crow, whose brother, Dr. Kenneth Crow, uh, was here some years ago uh, on the staff here and taught as well, I believe. But Chuck tells the story of being on an international flight to Israel with a, with a plane filled with, with Jews who were returning to the homeland. And in the flight, this long flight on this 747, he heard the cry of a, of a little Jewish boy who got out in the aisle of that jumbo liner and, and in the night he could not find his way back to his father. And so Chuck heard this little boy as he called out, as he walked the aisle of the plane and he called out, Appa! Appa! And he was weeping. And then Chuck said something wonderful happened. A man in this family of Jewish people who are connected in so many ways, he said, he picked the little boy up and he held him up and he said, he said, don't weep. He said, I will hold you up because as you are looking for Abba, Abba is looking for you. Isn't that wonderful? Worshiping the Father, the one we know, Jesus is saying the Father seeks worshipers. Know me. Know the Father. In me, Jesus, you have sufficient revelation of the Father. And then there's a second connection. Worshiping in the Spirit. True worshipers respond to God with something higher than just instinct or passion there's thoughtfulness to it sincere worship 
thoughtfulness to it. Uh, Dr. Graves was kind enough to thank my president for allowing me to be here. He's a wonderful president, wonderful layperson. He's been at Southern Nazarene University for 45 years in his 23rd year as our president. But his father passed away several months ago. A wonderful, wonderful layman like Dr. Lauren is. Dr. Paul Gresham passed away. He served, uh, he served several of our Nazarene institutions as, uh, as an academic dean and served with distinction. He was keen all the way up to the end, lived up into his uh, 90s. And he went to church, Bethany First Church, which is across the street from the university, went there for years, and even after he had lost his hearing, Dr. Paul would still go to church. And Dr. Lauren told me this story of his father near the end. When he became too weak, to go to church. When the Sabbath would come, he would have his caretaker get out his church clothes. And though he could not go, he would be dressed in the clothes that he would wear to church if he were able to go to church. This speaks to me of the spirit of worship, doesn't it you? It's not about location. It's not about geography as much as it is about the attitude of the heart. Worshiping in spirit. And God wants some depth to our worship. One wise man said, the last thing God needs is a bunch of hypocrites bragging on him. Worship in truth. Let me go quickly now. The third connection. Jesus said it himself. In John 8, 31 and 32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. One of the reasons I love Christian higher education. And the mission of a place like NBC is this. NBC isn't here merely to produce a professional clergy so that the world will count the graduates adequate and knowledgeable. Sure, that's part of it. But beyond that, at NBC, the mission is more radical than that. Just competency. In some ways, that's assumed. So it's more radical in this way. Because it involves the formation of disciples who are centered on the worship of the true and living God. So in that most basic sense, NBC exists to prepare men and women to lead others in the worship of God. Leading others to live a holy life. Recently I read uh, a book I mentioned yesterday, last evening I guess, 
Eugene Peterson, who gave us the paraphrase, the message, and many other wonderful books, The Pastor, a memoir. And he said this, unrelieved intellectual work, especially theological intellectual work, can shrivel your soul. Now let me balance this out. I mentioned I was a pastor for 25 years and I had a little plaque in my study right in front of me every day. I saw it. And the inscription was this. God will not enable the mind just because the heart is fervent. Study. God will not enable the mind just because the heart is fervent. Study. I took that to heart. I still do. So I want to balance this out. But what I want to say quickly is this, that the greatest hedge against just becoming consumed with this intellectual process of trying to understand and explain God without having a warm heart, the greatest hedge against such a threat is this. Don't become obsessed with an occupation. Become preoccupied with a person, and that person is Jesus. Just this past Thursday in a faculty meeting, a professor in our professional and graduate studies stood up when the provost said, does anybody have a good report? this faculty member stood up, said, I teach a biblical perspective course. And the first night of the class, one of my students announced that he was an atheist. So they went on with their studies, and he said, the third week, the student said, I won't be able to be here next week. My ex-wife is dying of cancer, and I need to go to be with her. And so he was out that week. The assignment for biblical perspectives that week was to read Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. And somewhere on the journey, this student reported to the professor later, he was in an airport and he was reading Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he confessed Christ as Savior. He called his mother, told her what he had done. And when he came back to class the next week, this student who said, I'm an atheist, announced to his colleagues that night that he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there are many in the world today that believe God sits atop a high and holy mountain. And there are many roads that lead up this mountain to where God is. And every road, one road to the next road, is just as valid one to the other. And all you need to do, all anybody needs to do, 
is just select the road that suits you, the road that you like the best. Because when it's all said and done, at the top of the mountain is God, and any road that you choose will take you to the mountain of God, the one, the one to be worshipped. And that's nice, but it's a lie. Jesus had gathered with the disciples in a dark and unnamed street, and the hours were fleeting by, and Jesus knew his time with them was going to be short. And he said this to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And then Thomas asked the question of the ages. But Lord, how can we know the way to this place where you're going? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. I told you about how congregations have formed me. Let me tell you yet one more story of a woman who taught me as much about the worship of God as anyone in my entire life. And I mean that sincerely. Her name was Goldie. What a perfect name for a precious, precious woman. She was, uh, she was tiny and frail and old when I met her. She actually rode a Sunday school bus to church. I was amazed that she could put up with the screaming children. But she rode a Sunday school bus to church because she loved to come to the house of God. She could no longer drive. And it was, it was getting near the end of her life. She was getting weaker and weaker. And finally, she had to go to a nursing home. One day, the phone rang. and. The secretary came and gave me a message and said, uh, there's been a problem at the nursing home where Miss Goldie is, and they'd like for you to come. And so I dropped what I was doing and went to uh, the nursing home. I would learn along the way that, that a man at that nursing home, for an unexplained reason, thought her to be some kind of threat to him. And so in this delusion that he was in, he took his cane and he started swinging at this little tiny frail woman and hit her several times before he could be subdued. She, she didn't have anything broken. They had checked her out, but, but she was battered and bruised. And so I remember when I walked into the nursing home, there she was in the foyer and she had her head down and she had been crying. And so I came near to her and began to try to comfort her. And already welts were, 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 uh, were visible on her skin, on her little bony arms and on her cheeks. 
where he had swung that cane and hit her. And she started to weep and she said, oh, pastor, why? Why? Why did he do this to me? I wasn't bothering him. It was just she couldn't understand. I, no one could understand. And so I tried to comfort her. I shared some scripture with her. And then I said, Miss Goldie, I want to pray. And that's when it happened. Her arms firmed up against the rails of that wheelchair. And she started to scoot out of the chair. And I said, Miss Goldie, you need to just sit right there. The Lord knows the position of the heart. And she said, oh, no, Pastor. She said, God's been so good to me that I just have to kneel. And so I helped her up on wobbly legs. And she turned. And that wheelchair became a sacred altar. And she knelt bony knees on that cold linoleum nursing home floor. And she worshiped the Father in spirit. And in truth, and taught me one of the greatest lessons of my life about the awesomeness of God and how worthy He is to be worshipped. And how sometimes in my whining, I'm so ugly. I have so little to complain about in reality and so much to praise Him for. And that little woman taught me one of the greatest lessons that I could ever learn by her example of humble worship, sincere worship. Well, what about the bad Samaritan? <laughs> this woman who was the center of attention for all the wrong reasons. Was she locked into who she was? Locked up so tight she could never be free from who she had been. Would it be possible to begin again? She couldn't start over, but could she begin where she was? And what I would submit to you is the so what part of the message. Her human response to the divine revelation of God in Christ Jesus was this. She left her burdens there at the well and she ran to town saying, come see a man. Come see a man. Come see Jesus. And what I would say to all of us tonight, let us go and do likewise. We have seen the glory of God. Let us lay our burdens down and let us run and let us tell the story that Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, the revealed glory of God is near. God is spirit.
and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let me ask you to do something. I know I know this is uh, this is September, this is not December. But this is what I feel like doing. My voice is is not up to it, but I'm going to do my best. Will you do your best? I want us to sing a song we associate with Christmas. A chorus, a refrain, a simple refrain. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. We stand and let's sing it together. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord will give him all the glory. message tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Toller, for, for being here and just preaching your heart to us tonight, last night and this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do adore you tonight. Our speaker has led us truly into the very heart of worship. A message we'll never forget. A message I hope we never forget. I pray, Lord, that it will truly capture us. And that we will become true worshipers of you. Tonight we say that we love you. All of us can identify with the woman at the well. And we bring to you those things tonight that weigh us down. 
And our commitment is to leave them at the well as we go back as new people. Thank you, Father. We give you praise. And we pray this all in the mighty name of the one we love and the one we serve, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, Amen. God bless you.